0: This is Pup Tech Nation, the weekly show where we talk about the most interesting stories taking place in the publishing and technology world. This is the week of August 17th, 2015. I'm your host, Shovak Paul. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Ram. How's it going, show? All is well. So if you're joining us for the first time, uh, this is a podcast where Mike and I go over all these hot topics in publishing, and then we typically do a deep dive into one or two topics. We actually have a great topic for this week. Uh, So let's get started, Mike. Starting off, uh, according to the MPA, which is, uh, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know, the magazine, uh, the Association of Magazine Media here in the U.S., so they reported that the U.S. magazine audience rose nearly 10%. From the first half of 2014 to the first half of 2015, uh, most of this actually came from mobile web readers, which actually grew 67% in that time period, and 10% of the growth was with uh, video content, right? Again, none of this is really surprising, Mike, where I think what we do need to note, however, is that traditional print and digital edition magazine audiences so those are you know apps which are basically replicas of the print magazine those two combined fell about seven percent during the same time period I think Mike this goes to show that you know people continue to want basically chunks of content mm-hmm. as opposed to wanting to read something cover to cover these
1: days yeah. I, I personally had a little bit of a tough time like Deducing what this report was really saying. You Uh know, I get, look, I'm a little skeptical sometimes when I see numbers from the NPA about the accuracy, but I'm sure that these numbers are accurate. I just wasn't sure because it it said video and digital, and I think they're kind of clumping together. I'm not sure what they're incorporating into the study, but it seems pretty clear that they're being transparent about, you know, print is falling. Uh, And I think you're right. I think if we back out of this data, it's about shorter chunks and article views and videos Mm -hmm. as opposed to like long form magazine reading um, which is on the decline yeah I mean I I think the one thing that did somewhat
0: surprise me is some of these app numbers because in in the past uh, some of the podcasts we've seen some numbers which indicate that Readership amongst apps uh, in these replicas, basically of, of the print magazine, have actually gone up. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of surprised to see this because it's just in it contradicts what we've been seeing in the last couple right. of uh, months from some other news sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I mean it's 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 uh, I think overall it's really good news that
1: yeah. that you know viewership has gone up overall. Right. and speaking of apps uh, PubExec had an interesting report on a new app that Rodale is launching so this app is called Runners World Go um, the official you know description of the app. Um, it was developed and tested and improved by the experts at Runner's World, uh, again, which is a Rodale title. Um, it's using a blend of utilities, including a real-time weather update service from AccuWeather. Um, it's designed to be you know, a companion for the runners of all skill levels, tips of what to wear, the best time of day to run. Um, it seems pretty cool. It launched this week, and um, I mean, look—the look, uh, the running app game or the competition is actually quite steep. I use Runkeeper. Matt, my run is ginormous. Nike has their own running app. Right. Um, so, you know, biggest question. And, and also, there's all these apps now that track with with your app. Like, I noticed, Mike, how's your how's your Apple Watch working out? I personally love the Apple yeah. Watch. Yeah. But I now, now do you use it for for things like running? No, I mean like it, it's telling me my steps, which yeah. is cool because yeah. I have yeah. like a pulse on like days where I'm just ridiculously lazy. Yeah. Uh, it's like get up. Also tells you to stand up, right? Exactly. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's good to check my steps. Like if I were buying a wearable for the specific purpose of fitness tracking, like Garmin makes some awesome ones. Mm-hmm. Wa- like there's there are mm-hmm. devices that are specific for training that blow away the Apple Watch mm-hmm. in that capacity. Um, but you know, a running app is something that a lot of uh, people are using just to even trap their, you know, again, map my run or running around New York City. It makes it really interesting to see exactly where you should go and how long your run is for. Right. Um, getting back to this app from Rodale, I mean, look, will this app be a success? I, you know, time will tell. What I think is awesome is that I feel like week after week, we keep on talking about Rodale, who seems, you know, I know a lot of the, um, some of the decision makers and executives over there—they have really great management. I think that they're a great example of a publishing company that's looking them- at themselves as a content creator, um, as well as you know, basically how do they take their content and fuse it with like real-world application and create that you know beautiful experience where there's utility and there's, you know, there's things you could do with your running, um, in terms of where you're going to go and what you're going to wear, but then you're also getting great articles every day through it. So, we got it, and also, by the way, they developed everything in-house. which A lot of publishers, um, for good reason, they're shying away from the internal development costs because they get really serious, but they also have um, apparently a few more apps that are you know, brand oriented, but also are going to have that utility approach. So, I'm really interested to see if Rodale is going to be one of those examples of, uh, in-house development working really well or becoming, you know, a little bit of a resource constraint on them.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's see if that's sustainable, right? We've seen it time and time again where a lot of companies start off internally with uh, developing, especially apps are a different beast, I feel like, from the web, right? Um, keeping up with the OSs, keeping up with, for example, now having to be on the Apple Watch, mm-hmm. right? If you want to stay competitive or whatever else. So let's see if that's sustainable, yeah. but, but but big, big credit to them for for you know, being forward thinkers and being really on the forefront as far as we see with, with publishing right. companies. They're, they're always really pushing the limits and being innovative. Definitely. So good, good on Rodale. Um, you know, really funny story. And sometimes on our podcast, Mike, we get really serious about great, great sort of like very important stories. This one, in especially being part of the tech world, really cracked me up. Uh, uh, what was it, a week or two back? Time Magazine, which always has good covers, uh, had uh, a amazingly funny cover of uh, Palmer Luckey, who's the CEO and founder of Oculus Rift, which for, for our listeners who don't know, Oculus Rift, uh, Rift is a um, virtual reality company, right? I actually had the privilege of trying it out. A few times uh, where I was flying. Essentially, you're putting on this headset. You're flying through New York City, or or trying to cross a bridge with it. And it's very. It's it really is immersive. Did and you did you look
1: any cooler than him while you were wearing it? I don't know. I awkward posture. You know, I don't
0: know because I had I, I had this headset on, and 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 the funny thing about the story really is, it, it was this ridiculous picture of him with this headset on, and. It was sort of like he—obviously, he was in his world, and in, in, in his eyes, he was probably in some other world. I'm just amazed that Time decided to use that as a picture versus what maybe that virtual world looked like. Mm-hmm. Either way, the funny part of that story is, I mean, the Internet just just took this picture and put it all over the map. And, and there, was, there was one where— it was him and, and the picture basically just to describe it. He's got both his hands up in the air, sort of like half midway
1: doing a squat, right, with this headset on. <laughs> you, for our listeners, you have to right now Google Palmer Lucky, P-A-L-M-E-R, Lucky, uh, and then you'll just see and just go to images. It, it's amazing. It's so good. My favorite was uh, – it was like a WWE uh, <laughs> yeah. wrestling rink and he's like jumping off I about mean, to like body slam th- someone. Th- th- there's one of him in the Titanic scene where Jack so is holding good. him from the back and, and the front of the boat. It, 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 but this is one of those things that – like you you asked yourself, like, did did someone mess this? Like, did someone uh like not do their job right by putting this ridiculous cover? Or is someone just a genius over a time because this cover blew up and everyone's probably visiting, you know, time.com the I, article. I think that's a
0: really good point, you right? Know,
1: like it's, it's you know, I, I remember a few podcasts back we discussed the importance of
0: covers, mm-hmm. and, you know, especially in this day and age, which you know, um you know, the the Caitlyn Jenning cover yeah. and everything else like the reality is, yeah, you're right, Mike. Like this probably got more buzz on like message boards and Reddit and other places than I've
1: seen with any other recent time covers. So mm-hmm. m- m- maybe it did work. Yeah. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, um, I, I actually love this story. They reported on um, – a new initiative by Motor Trend. So Motor Trend is published um, by the Enthusiast Network or also known as TEN and basically a few years back, let's see, I think it was 2012. Uh, motortrend produced a video series or started producing a video series on YouTube called Roadkill uh, and Roadkill now is averaging three million views per episode uh, the demographic is almost entirely male um, it's a pair of young hosts uh, David Freiberger and Mike Finnegan um, and they're doing very you know macho guy things like driving tanks over old car- cars and they also bought like a 67 Ford wagon and drove it across the country um, the the chief executive at Ten says it's guys behaving badly with cars. Needless to say, <laughs> this video series uh, again it's called Roadkill is going to have their own magazine. That's cool. So it's sort of like you know they try to diversify back in 2012, take advantage of YouTube and video, and then they did an amazing job. I think it was uh, let's see somewhere in it they, when they first started doing this, um, you know their first Facebook post they got like thirty thousand likes, yeah. and the CEO was like you can't ignore that. So they created a video. Video series, and now it's all full circle. They're creating this um, print magazine based off the video series. It's apparently not going to have that many ads, but it's going to be about $10 an issue. Amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, Mike, I, I think it points to this new direction that we're heading in, right, where it, it, you know, you don't need to now survey people to see what they're interested in. Go to YouTube, go to Twitter, go to Instagram, see what has a lot of followers, right, or a lot of discussion around it. And you can actually create an entire brand around that, right? I don't know if you saw this like uh, two, three days back uh, or it was like last weekend or this past weekend – um, you, you know this this character called the Fat Jew, and I'm not being derogatory. That's, Fat Jewish. Yeah, the, I'm Fat sorry, Jewish. the Fat yeah. Jewish. Yes, of course. Right? And and he's this comical character. He's mainly on Instagram, mm-hmm. although he has like Twitter. And and, and he, he posts funny stuff, and, and there's a lot of discussion around now whether it's even original content. turns out he's been stealing mm-hmm. other people's like – You know, you post something really funny on Facebook, he'll steal it and make it his own and, you know, things like that. But he just got a huge contract from some, some talent agency. Plus size modeling. Plus size. Yeah, no, no. And he also got a show on Comedy Central. I mean, the idea is, you know, he, these big companies looked at him and said, well, he has millions of followers. Let's create a brand. In their case, it's not a magazine. It just happens to be a TV show or whatever else around this guy. I feel like now more and more brands are turning to the to the web and, and especially to social media to find who are either individual characters or what are topics mm-hmm. that we should create. An
1: entire brand around, which is very—it's—it's it's like a very unique concept. I mean, th- there's no doubt about it. Those people are the people that run the internet. Um, some of my friends, certainly not me, uh, you know, follow pretty girls and models on Instagram. And <laughs> you, uh, my friends, tell me that you'll see them promoting. You know, this is our my new fit tea. Drink this green tea, and you'll lose weight. I mean, there's tons of product placement with like the Instagram stars. And you're right. I mean, maybe the takeaway is if you're a publishing brand and there is someone they don't need to have millions of followers but if they have you know tens of maybe hundreds of thousands of followers which doesn't happen every day but if there are you know People that sort of fit what your brand's about, maybe you reach out to them and try to, you know, team up with them for a content play or a video series. And there's a lot, I mean, these people are accessible, you know? What what, what else do your quotation
0: mark friends say, Mike? What what other sites should we be going to? You know, we'll have to talk about that in another episode. (laughs) Yeah, for (laughs) a totally different show, right? Exactly. So here's here's another great topic uh, that we read about Uh, Diana Dillsworth uh, reported on Galley Cat that. New York's uh, Department of Education is working on a plan to bring e-books to more than 1,800 public schools. Uh, so, New York City has basically partnered with Amazon, and and they've got a budget of $30 million in funding to create the department's first unified e-book marketplace. I mean, this is such a cool story. Basically, Mike, Amazon will be provided uh, – will provide – contracted content such as, you know, widely used textbooks, along with some other like non-contracted uh, content, right? Um, and basically this plan is, it's going to be signed. It's still, it's, it's still waiting for approvals, but it looks like it's a go. I, you know, I've always wondered, uh, especially as a parent living in New York City, why there aren't more ebooks and tablets being utilized in the public school system, I mean, we see it a lot with private, um, mm-hmm. and, and no doubt, you know, budgets and things like that are an issue. But I, I think this is this is such a cool initiative, and I, I, and I hope, you know, this serves as as a it becomes
1: successful and it serves as a pilot for other cities uh, around the U.S. as well. Absolutely, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I have a couple of headlines that are related to Facebook, basically. Kicking everyone else's butt. So why don't we why don't we fuse together a couple of uh, interesting headlines uh, yeah, I want to hear? Them. Yeah, the first one is Facebook versus Google. Ding, ding, ding. Facebook is the winner. Uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, Martin Beck over at Marketingland.com. Um, you know, long story short, Facebook referral traffic has passed Google again. So June and July, um, overall, and then this data is coming from parse.ly and or some people just call them Parsley. Um, they have analytics from like all the premier, uh, you know, publishers and websites, so it's pretty representative of the entire, you know, publishing yeah, internet. Yeah, cool, cool data. I think we've we've used their data in the past for sure. And basically, I'll be honest. I actually thought that like Facebook was probably referring more traffic than Google like every month for a while now. Apparently, that hasn't been the case. But what's significant is the past two months. It's a close race, but uh, Facebook is referring straight up more traffic than Google. You know, in, in all their capacities and search being the number one. Um, that is really interesting. And then um, a completely separate story, which <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. I mean the title is Three Ways Facebook is Crushing Twitter. Uh, Twitter is just getting slammed by public opinion, the stock market. But um, I like how they break this down. You know, The first thing is the ad gap. Uh, Facebook – By the way, where's that article from? Oh, let's see. Um, I think – this article was from time.com actually okay, right yeah um, and we'll, we'll link everything yep, to the um, yep. to the Twitter feed that we have um, the three things that you know Facebook has in a nutshell it's better ad revenue more users and a better valuation um, but just to drill into some of these things because I, I think they're actually really interesting um, Facebook did almost four billion in ad revenue in the second quarter so and from the year before, in the same second quarter, that's a 41% increase. Um, it's just absurd, some of these numbers. The um, U.S. audience is still the most valuable for Facebook. It's about uh, $8 per U.S. audience member on Facebook compared to their global. It's $2.50. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I believe what they're saying is that's per month. I think like the average uh, U.S. Facebook person is, is basically driving $8 in ad revenue for Facebook, mm-hmm. which is like an unprecedented number, and even just the raw numbers – it's like, uh, let's see. There's 7.2 billion people on Earth. Um, 20% of them, I believe, is, are, is using Facebook. And you know, everyone's kind of ripping on uh, Twitter for. Um, so sorry, 7.3 billion people on Earth. 1.5 billion of them are on Facebook. That's 21%. That's While Twitter is having growth problems and user problems and advertising problems. Um, I think this is probably going to be like the fifth show in a row where I say like Twitter needs to make a move, you know, buy Flipboard or buy one of these, uh, you know, their issue is, you know, it's a ton of information in chronological order. There's tons of value in something like that. You know, it's the information hose, but they need products that I think speak more to like a curated, longer form experience. Um, yeah. So I, I actually think that Twitter can make some moves in the right direction, but they got looks do like with,
0: with with now them embedding pictures and and things like that. It, it they're moving towards a much more sort of unified, visually visually pleasing to the eye mm-hmm. kind of structure. But I I don't know. I mean, Mike, I, I personally find myself now more than ever finding better content on. My Facebook feed, although I'll say it is somewhat um, biased, right, or leaning towards a certain direction, because like it'll, if for example, I have a lot of friends who are in academia, I'll see certain types of content, Mm -hmm. and I have obviously a lot of friends in tech, I'll see a lot of tech content. I don't see a lot of, for example, fashion content, right? Mm -hmm. I I don't have a lot of friends who are in fashion or whatever else. So I think it tends to be biased. Whereas in Twitter, I can I can choose to follow whoever I want to follow, right? Um, So I I, I think – and also in Facebook, I think the big advantage for me uh, tends to be I can have a conversation around it.
1: Much, yeah. much more easily than I can on Twitter. It's interesting you mentioned that. I don't know if uh, this is in reaction. Like Twitter actually removed their character limit for direct yes, responses, trying that. to make it more conversational. So I think you just had a very you know astute observation because they're literally trying to change that, trying to make it more. Except
0: direct messaging is still one to one, right? A little like little bit a lot weird. of the yeah.
1: conversations I
0: have on Facebook, it's you know I'll see someone comment on a post, I'll comment sometimes to their comment. Uh, I can now reply. It's, it doesn't even have to be on one single thread. You can reply to different people's comments and things like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, it's no surprise to me that that Facebook is sort of killing it. You know, it, it is somewhat of a surprise that, that they're doing better than Google at this point. I mean, I think that is sort of surprising. It's insane. It really is. Yeah, I mean, um, stuff to keep keep an eye on. You know. Um, okay, moving on. I cannot help but, and I know this is not directly related to publishing, but we have to, on this show, being two tech guys in the publishing yeah. world, discuss Alphabet, first of all. And this was almost our deep dive, but we have an even... We have a better topic. deep dive yeah. That, that, yeah. that I really want to talk about in a second here, but but let's talk about Alphabet because, and for those of you who don't know, uh, last week uh, Google, or I should say Larry Page announced that he's creating a new company called Alphabet. Google's going to be a separate company under this new company called Alphabet, Google uh, will now be headed by uh, uh Pichai, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, Google itself will have um, you know their ads, search, Chrome, Android. That'll all still be under Google, okay, as a separate company. All these other ventures that Google was uh, was invested in such as Nest, which is the, the temperature control thing in the house, uh, Google Ventures, which included uh, things like self-driving cars, uh, Life Sciences, Google X, which is their space program. All, all these other things will become separate companies and will have their same uh, – will have their own CEOs, right? So – why did this happen? Why did they do it? There's been a lot of discussion about this. To me, here's how I summarize this, and I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about this, Mike. But to me, the way I look at it, this is a really good thing, and the good points are they have their own PNL. It allows Larry Page um, and Sergey to really hire uh, and retain good talent. I think it was hard to get. You know, a you're never going to become the CEO of a company at Google, right? Mm-hmm. It was really, really hard uh, in their old structure. Now they can bring in new talent. There's more chances for promotion, more chances for retaining these uh, these uh, these employees. I think it allows them to take more risk and explore some of these like ideas, right? Without it affecting and thinking about it as one company, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can start something, doesn't work, great, whatever, it failed, right? It doesn't ex- affect their stock prices overall, right? Um, I think the bad side of it is there's going to be some internal now competition for engineers amongst the alphabet companies. For sure. Uh, and I, at the end of the day, these individual CEOs are still ha- going to have to go to Page and Pichai to ask for money and budget approvals. So I think it's going to become... Uh, it may become, I should say, somewhat more uh, bureaucratic, although I think they'll argue that this does the opposite. And I know Larry Page has been saying for a while that it, it, he wants to take more time to focus on these emerging sort of projects and ideas, and the fact that approval still has to come from him might actually bog things down mm-hmm. um, for him. Uh, anyway, a lot of very exciting
1: news. what well, what do you think about Alphabet. I think the way you broke down the good and the bad was just like completely accurate. Anytime the biggest company in the world, well, one of the biggest companies in the world makes a big move like this, there's going to be good and there's going to be bad. My opinion, and it seems to be a pretty popular opinion, is that this had to happen. It's. It could have happened even sooner. You know, you can't have uh, a company just ha- with all these like uh, somewhat unrelated businesses, you right. know, like search ads compared to life extension, you know, like <laughs> right, it's right, – right. Um, I think it's really cool that all like the money makers and the things that like Google is most well known for, which is search, video and Android, all stays as one unit, one massive money making unit and all their other projects, they, they need their own oversight. They need to be able to uh, – Hire who they want and be independent. I think this is a great thing. You know, it's really um, to me. I I think it makes a lot of sense. It is sort of like a a weird moment in your. I I have a, a buddy of mine who just had a a baby, and he was saying like, you know, when she grows up, like she's going to be like oh remember like i think alphabet used to be called like google back in the day like when my parents were young uh, you know right, like right, right. it's just um yeah, yeah, yeah. i think alphabet will be of course like a really big deal for yep. many many years to come i yep. think some of their initiatives are just like awesome life extension and driving cars and self driving cars rather so i hope this um i also own 5 shares of google amazing, <laughs> so amazing. i hope this is a good thing for those purposes <laughs> Great. So let's take a real quick break, and I want
0: to thank our sponsors today, uh, and that's uh, Maz Digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, if for those of our listeners who don't know, Maz provides a platform which allows publishers of all kinds—it doesn't matter if you're a magazine, a catalog, or book publisher—to really quickly take your content add multimedia, add any other additional content, video, audio, uh, web content, and really bring it to life as a native app in a very quick and effective, efficient, and really cost-effective way. Uh, And basically they output to iOS, Android, uh, they have an HTML5 output, And, and the best thing about the platform is you do the work once. And let's say you have a new issue of a magazine coming up. You upload it really quickly, and you enhance it, add whatever drag-and-drop video's in, and then they just make sure that it works across all the different platforms. They deal with Apple. They deal with uh, Google. They deal with Amazon. So you don't have to do any of the hard work. Great, great platform. Uh, it, it, go check them out at yeah.
1: Maz mazdigital, dot com. Uh, and you and also, you know, you, you got to add, it's uh, it's an interesting time for publishers with iOS 9 coming out. I know that, uh, you know, for publishers that have an app that are kind of looking for that 2.0 version, um, for the publishers that don't have an app and maybe want to get involved in the game with all these changes with iOS 9, which we're going to talk about in a second, um, I think it's no better time to give these guys a call. So yeah, MazDigital, M-A-Z, digital.com. Also mention Pub Tech Nation, you get 10% off. Absolutely. So the deep dive. Got a lot this, to say about this. Th- this
0: is really <laughs> interesting. So, Mike, um, we we got a lot of emails from our listeners in the last uh I, I want to say last two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I also want to mention we we weren't on for the last week. We didn't host a podcast uh because I actually broke my leg. Uh I didn't, I didn't know if you want me to publicize that. No, no, it, sitting it, in this boot cool. I I, bad, man. I, I, I know I'm literally sitting here with these one, one of these cast boots on uh and uh, I think I was way too medicated to even talk. Okay, uh, that's fair. You know, we should have so, had one then. Yeah, we, <laughs> we really should have had one then. Um, Looper episode. But, but what's great is uh, we got a lot of lot of uh, emails from people talking about uh, this hot topic of, you know, ad blocking with. With iOS nine, a lot of people wrote to us saying, "What, what does that mean?" I've been yep. reading a lot about it. They saw two words: ad blockers and, and iOS nine. Yep. Right. And, and since everybody's concerned about mobile, and especially since a lot of the action is with Apple, this new update from Apple that's coming uh, in sometime late September, from probably, probably like in, a month away, yep. uh, like like a month away, mm-hmm. people are really concerned. And I think why this is really relevant, Mike, especially with you, is you know, for for our listeners who don't know. Um, you know, Mike comes out of the uh, ad tech world, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I really want to um, get a better understanding, Mike, from you in
1: terms of what does this all mean. Right. Cool. So, and there's so much to talk about. I mean, let let's start at the top of the top, meaning what is ad blocking? So, just you know, uh, very high level, ad blocking is. You know, an extension or a little thing that you can add typically to your desktop browser. So mm-hmm. you use Chrome or Safari on your your, your laptop or desktop, you have this little extension. Or, or Internet Explorer. Or, in, or Internet Explorer. <laughs> for those yep. of you that so, that, yeah, yeah. Um, And, and it's simply, you know, it. it, tri- it uh detects where there are advertisements on the page and it removes those ads. They're not served to you. Um, so you and basically just don't see it. You don't see so it. there's ads. an ad on the left, you don't see yep. the ad on the And let me give you some more high-level stats because it's important to understand like the high-level stuff before we drill in. Yep. Um, uh, Ad blocking on desktop is up 70% this year from last year. So we're at about, it's it's a thing, it's a practice that's growing, about 240 million people use it worldwide. A little more context, about 15% of people in the US add these ad blockers um, to their desktop in Europe, that's actually twice as high, about 30% on average in like Germany and England, Spain are using ad blocking. So it's more prevalent in Europe. Mm -hmm. But basically, we're talking about about 15 out of 100 people on their desktop are not seeing the majority of ads. We're talking display ads, pre-roll, the whole gamut. Now. What's happening here is that this practice is much less popular on mobile. And the reason why is um, it has not been allowed on Apple's platform. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't want to make this too number centric, but the couple other data points I want to throw out just for our listeners is when it comes to the mobile web, Safari um, is basically a, a, a cool 50% of mobile traffic. The other 50% is you know, from the variety of Android yeah. phones and then a little bit of the other phones that have market share still. Yeah. Um, and Safari is about 15% of overall traffic. So, fi- So 50% of mobile, 15% of overall. And to cut to the core of what's happening is iOS 9 is gonna allow users to download another little app that they can then enable ad blocking on Safari. So for, for that's the first point of confusion that we should sort of clarify. You're not going to get your you – know, update to iOS 9 and then all of a sudden just straight up not see ads on Safari. That right. would be like an even much bigger deal right? because right. um, then everyone literally wouldn't see ads right. on their iPhone. Right. 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 This is something that someone can go and they can download and then disable ads. So, so that's so, like um, the baseline. we don't know if it's going to come pre as in the app also downloads by itself right the separate app. If it's you, gonna come, it, it will not, you'll have to go to the app store you know so the first thing, so like let, let's let's start to yeah. get into like the good. So the, the bad. adoption rate's going to be a lot slower than than than, than had it come pre-installed. So so th- really. so that is one of the biggest. Uh, You know, there's a lot of uncertainty about what this means, and there's also a lot of articles um, this week about like publishers shouldn't absolutely freak out, but they should be prepared. I think that that sentiment is accurate. I mean, think about your experience show with uh, the the new keyboards you could install with iOS eight. Right? Did you install a Giphy keyboard? Yeah, I I did. I did. You know, a lot of people started taking advantage of that stuff. I think that iOS users tend to be a little bit, um, savvier in some respects. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you see that your friend doesn't have ads and, uh, you have to download this one simple app, I actually think a lot of people are going to do it, but that's to be determined. Um, you know, and, and let's talk about like the, the user experience. Like the really good thing about this is that, you know, we've been having this conversation for like 20 years, right? Like display ads kind of stink or they really stink. And, you know, When you load a page without display ads, not only does the content generally look better, but the load speeds and the bandwidth that it takes up is far less. So Literally, I I load the same Wall Street Journal article with ads and without. It's taking half the data and taking half the time without Mm -hmm. the ads. Mm -hmm. So you kind of can't deny that this is probably a really good thing for users. But I mean, for publishers, it's really scary because all of a sudden, you know, a couple of months, there could be a significant percentage decrease in the amount of ads that are being served. Right. So, I mean, like, what do you think? Like, how does this affect, or how to, I mean, we know how it potentially affects publishers. What can they do? Because I have a few ideas, but I want to hear what you're thinking. So, so here's my thought on this. I mean, look, we're facing
0: this. As if you look at publishers and, and the, the publishers we typically talk about and deal with are mainly more traditional, you know, magazine books, those types of publishers. But look, the TV guys have been going through this a lot too, mm-hmm. right? With with the onset of like TiVo and DVRs, people are skipping through ads, right? Essentially, as consumers, we, our minds are now being trained to skip through ads. And to a certain degree, even if we can't skip it, we have Banner blindness with with mobile I and mean, with desktop web, right? Mm-hmm. Half the times I don't even see the banner ads anymore. I, I'm just blind to them, right? It's called banner blindness. And I think with TiVo and DVR and this and that, we're we've now been sort of accustomed to getting more annoyed at these things and saying, "I, I just want to like skip it, right?" Mm-hmm. So on the web, it's become let's install this ad blocking so uh, I can skip through this ad. The problem is. We want stuff as well for free, right? I'm accustomed now to not wanting to pay. When I see a paywall, I don't want to pay for it, right? I don't want to pay too much for an app. I don't want to, you know, but there's a flip side to it, which is that's fine. And and brands are saying, fine, we will give it to you for free. We will take away the paywall in certain instances, but I'm going to serve you an ad, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to monetize that eyeball in return. And that's, to me, is a fair agreement. Except the problem is the mass consumer market just doesn't understand that, right? Yeah. They're they're saying, that, that's "Hey, us. here's the deal. I want I want you to give me a really cool user experience. I want you to give it to me for free, right? And I just want you to keep writing great, great content, mm-hmm. right?
1: It, there's there's it can't all be a take take take. There's got to be some give. Totally. I mean, the, the most interesting thing about this is all these articles are coming out about ad blocking and then you go to the bottom of the pages and you look at the comments. And right. that's really telling because um, people fall into two buckets as I see it. There's also a third and really small bucket, which are people that work in publishing that are all for ads, including me and you. Um, but the mainstream person is either bucket number one. They have no freaking clue about the way the internet works. They're just angry. How dare you show me an ad? How right. dare you mess with my experience? I don't think they really understand the way that like publishing works. The economics, rather, right? Um, which is not like they're not bad people. They just don't, you know, they just don't get it. Um, the second group I thought was really interesting. There's a lot of people across all these pages I was reading that were saying like. It's the really annoying ads that that kind of you know piss me off. The, the pop ups, the auto plays, the auto um, the, the the audio ads. Yes. But when I see like an elegantly designed, uh, I've, page, I've been in meetings before where I was like looking at some content to to quote from you right know, some numbers. and, and, it, and it started playing. playing. I mean, it's embarrassing. Like those are the yeah. things that like genuinely people get upset because you, you made a loud noise in a coffee shop for them. And, yeah. and, and I see, to me, that's really interesting. Like if there could be a way for some of these ad blockers to like remove what, and defining this stuff would be almost impossible. Like what is just a terrible ad experience and what would be okay. And let the publishers who are, who are running like elegantly designed and like natural ads, yeah. let that happen. But, um, you know, to me, when I first heard about this, I, I veered much more on the side of like, Can't believe Apple's doing this. They're evil. This is crazy. So bad for publishers, but I I think it just—it sort of raises the bar in what publishers need to do. You know, like the biggest problem is that you know a standard um, leaderboard ad or just you know three hundred by two fifty banner, they pay pennies. Like actually a lot less than pennies when you when you uh, you know back out of the CPM. So you know this is sort of the rise of. So what's the solution? I mean, well, look, you have you know. BuzzFeed is laughing because this doesn't affect them whatsoever. You know, something I want to clarify for our publishing audience that, like, you know, many of them, most of them probably know this, but it's it's the standardized ads that are set up on the page that the ad blockers can uh, detect. So, you know, so, they, so ad blockers can see, like, oh, this is clearly an ad banner. This is clearly a little, uh, you know, rectangle or, or square that's going to be pulling in from an ad network. Yeah. So, we're going to block it. In some cases, ad blockers will, like, Block content by accident, which is kind of a crappy user experience. But if I'm setting up, you know, Mike.com, where I'm talking about, you know, my new Apple Watch. Um if I sell a sponsorship to someone to a brand, you know, whatever Rolex, uh, I don't know why Rolex would want to sponsor an Apple Watch blog, but if I design them a beautiful um, banner and something that looks very elegant and organic, that's more proprietary to the web page. Um, to my understanding, these ad blockers will not remove that. So the first, I mean, the ultimate example of how you combat this is native content. Where you know stories that you know have the marketing message in it, uh-huh. which then you get a whole bunch of other people that are angry about that. You're yeah, gonna then, be
0: like, "Oh, you're bastardizing content." Yes, now which like
1: that's a whole other right, topic. Right, right. But anything that where you're weaving in a brand marketing message into the stories, that's not going to really be affected. Okay. paywalls won't be affected, right? If you get people to pay for your content, which has been a really uphill battle for most brands, you know. um, I think that there's a lot of onus on also creating uh, potentially an app. You know, like app development can be really expensive if you're doing it custom. Uh, if you're using a platform, you need to make sure that that platform is actually aligned with what you're trying to do. Right. But I mean, if you so, are- so, in other words, Mike, what you're saying is, if
0: if today I I had if today I had an app that I created, right, it won't affect that like any advertising I had in the app. Right? This is just affecting things inside of a browser. In other words, if I go to New York Times on my browser, then it basically affects my – like the, the ads that I see versus if I go to the New York Times so, app.
1: So it's actually a really – it's a really good question because I'll start off with like a, just a kind of a technical answer, uh-huh. which is that – Um, if you have an app that allows you, you know, a reader to like tap somewhere and it loads a web view of your story, most apps, um, are going to be using an older instance of what's called WebKit. And what WebKit is, is that's basically the in-app browser, which is to my knowledge, not going to support ad blocking. So, you know, the, the, the short answer is that If your app loads your website, it's likely that the version of that browser is not going to block the ad. So that's your short-term fix is that any traffic that's being driven through your app right now won't actually even support ad blocking even if people put the extension in. Um, Longer-term solution though and like again, that's very short-term because WebKit will be updated and then it will start blocking ads. Remember, like we have to think of this stuff more long term. Apple News, the app that Apple's launching, is very much supposed to have. Ads in it, maybe not initially, but you know, Apple has been vocal that they want to be um, offer uh, publishers the ability to set up really beautiful ads where they do rev shares with Apple, and you know, you could talk smack about Apple and call them evil, but you know, in a way, if they can make sure that when I look at a page, there's maybe one you know beautiful piece of branding, and then it allows me to read my story without. Tons of crappy little display ads that are paying peanuts. Yeah, but
0: it's it's also pushing. It's 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 like creating a monopoly for for
1: content, right? Saying the only way to do this as a publisher well, look, is through Apple. Well, well, well yeah. I, I would combat okay. that again. I think I think the app route is interesting because you know um, the the CEO of BuzzFeed um, recently talked about the fact that almost all their traffic is generated from social. It goes back to the Facebook right, thing right, we right. talked about. It's all referral right. traffic from Facebook. But he says they're. There is a smaller but powerful audience, about 5% of BuzzFeed's audience are the people that actually like bookmark buzzfeed.com. They're like yeah, yeah, the psychopaths idea. that yeah, they actually bookmark stuff anymore. I don't know who about. these people especially are, especially on mobile. I don't think anyone's but, bookmarking anything. For sure, but they're actually the small loyal people these are the people that generate the most page views these are the people that actually are the first people that you know present to uh, or share to facebook and create that viral effect so so what am i really getting at there is sort of the loyalists your readers that really are like your top fans that will download your app and will read your stories and you know what you could even be proactive about this you know like steve jobs said if we don't cannibalize ourselves someone else will do it like maybe you block your own ads in your app and you get a few key advertisers to sponsor the whole app experience, so you sort of carve out a new audience, which is even more engaged than the, the casual, you know, web I, I, visitor. I think that's interesting, Mike. But then you have to have a fairly
0: big brand to pull that move, right? I mean, I, I don't know, or I'm not sure that if I am, you know, Cake Central, which is just you know pictures of cakes, and it's a great magazine by the way for people interested in cakes. Um, how, how does a brand that niche say to sponsors, "Hey, listen, with our you know five or ten thousand audience of five or ten thousand, very very loyal, um, you know and and engaged
1: uh, readers, we want you to sponsor something." Does it doesn't work. So, so you, br- I mean, on on your side of the fence, right? Because I'll t- I'll take the other side. Of it. I'll play devil's advocate. Your side, you bring up a very good point. It is totally. Uh, Holding publishers to a higher standard to be able to do two things. One is like sell this to an advertiser. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, some of these publishers that are not the most digitally savvy, not not saying anything about Cake yeah. Central per yeah, se, yeah, yeah, yeah. just any niche publisher, uh, might not have the wherewithal to sell this stuff or the technical knowledge to set up a really nice piece of branding on their website. Right. So it de- definitely raises the bar, but you have to look at it from the other way. The problem that's all these small, you know, a, a small, more endemic site who's saying, you can't get our audience anywhere else, the advertisers and agencies and ad networks and ad tech players, they're all saying, I actually can. I could buy the same display banner for one-fifth of the price if I go through an ad network and go into an open exchange. What this allows them to do is create something that you literally can't buy anywhere else. So you can't put – you know it's sort of a chicken or egg scenario, but if some of these smaller guys – can develop some nice ad packages that are more proprietary and less about the standard ad units. I think that we can maybe start, you know, uh, or stop. Using the CPM metric, start talking about engagement and signups. You can imagine, you know, Cake Central doing something with plated or one of these food um, delivery services where they, you know, mm-hmm. uh, deliver your ingredients to drive signups. You know, so it, it holds everyone to a higher standard. I think ultimately, you know, where I'll leave my opinion because I know I'm, I'm talking a lot about it is. This actually is an opportunity for publishers even though they're scared. I think this is probably the biggest threat to the ad networks that are basically these ginormous middlemen Uh that are serving just millions upon billions of ad impressions in these standardized units which are the units that are getting the most um, negative impact from the ad blocking technology. Yeah,
0: because, I mean, the truth is nobody – I can't believe in 2015 we still see banner ads on our phones. I mean, how crazy is that? This might be the turn of the tide. Hopefully. Hopefully. And so to summarize what you're saying, Mike, there are three ways that that publishers can combat this. One is to create more native content. Two is to potentially create an app where it doesn't matter what – ads you serve because it's outside of the browser mm-hmm. and three getting sp- as a, a, really what you're saying is potentially you yourself curating the ads and potentially even removing all the ads and having a key sponsor mm-hmm. um like one sponsor brought to you by ge rolex whatever you want mm-hmm. whoever that key name sponsor is and making that the core focus of your ad strategy. I
1: think that's a perfect summary and look, none of those things are necessarily easy but I think these are the things you got to think about. Got it. Great. Hey Mike,
0: that's really great insight. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in this week. Uh, More to come next week. Please be sure to come back uh, and to subscribe to our app if you're already not. I'm sorry, subscribe to our podcast if you're not already a subscriber. Please do tell all your friends about it, especially your friends in publishing. If they don't already know about it, tell, tell them to go check out Pup Tech Nation. Uh, thank you all for listening this week. All the links to our stories will be posted on our Twitter and uh, Facebook page, so please be sure to follow us there. Uh, also, uh, as a lot of our listeners already do, please drop us a note at Pup Tech Nation. At gmail.com, tell us about your opinions. Tell us about stories that you maybe want us to cover or do a deeper deep uh, do a deeper dive into in in the upcoming weeks. Uh, if you have questions about stuff that we talked about, please do let us know, and uh, we look forward to uh, hearing from you. Have a great week, everyone. All right, thanks. Take care. Bye.